Well, just to say, well, welcome everybody. The Patrimony Committee, just very quickly, is the committee of the Bishops' Conference that advises on all aspects of Catholic heritage in England and Wales. And we first learned about this in the Catholic Herald, the report in the Catholic Herald quite recently that this fascinating relic had been discovered. And so we were in touch very quickly with James and his company to say that this was of extreme importance from the Catholic perspective and uh, we would like to find an appropriate home for it and so forth. So, so that's the sort of the beginning of this, this great story. And we then discovered how it had been lost and stolen out of a car, and the fact that it sort of turned up was all rather amazing. James will tell that story. But in terms of, of its importance for the Catholic Church and for Catholics, of course, relics do have a real significance there, a link not just with the holy person, but a link ultimately you know, with the divine. And so they are treasured and revered by Catholics. And of course, in this country, it's just always worth remembering that at the Reformation, um, under Henry VIII, and then ultimately, obviously, in the Civil War with Cromwell, there was massive destruction of shrines and relics. And so that tradition of, of venerating relics is something that's, to a very large extent, rather lost in this country. It exists very much in places like um, Italy and other Catholic countries. But for Catholics, relics do have a very great importance and significance. And of course, this is a relic of St. Clement, the third pope, and uh, ordained by St. Peter himself. His, his body is in San Clemente in Rome. So it is a very, very remarkable artifact. I saw James and his very, very sensitive response to what he had discovered when he found this relic. But uh, your, your remarks were so sensitive and respectful that I thought, well, now here's, here's a man worth doing business with. And in fact, I wrote to you straight away, didn't I? So that's my original uh, contact with James Rubin. Just a word, as Sophie has introduced uh, Pope St. Clement, very important uh, figure in the life of the early church, Pope from the year 90 to the year 101, engaged in a correspondence like St. Paul, engaged in a correspondence with the Christians of Corinth. So there is an extant document written by Pope Clement I to the Corinthians, not to be mistaken with the documents of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Pope St. Clement was arrested, if you like, by the Emperor Trajan because he was too successful in preaching the Christian gospel. And Trajan decided, get this man out of Rome and uh, put him into exile in a very, very distant part of the empire, which today we would call, well, President Putin would call it the Crimea. We would call it Ukraine. So uh, Clement was exiled to the Ukraine, and eventually he was martyred there by drowning. And one of the symbols of Pope Clement, Pope Saint Clement, he is portrayed with an anchor because he had an anchor weighed around his neck. Move forward to the 8th century, two very famous saints from that part of Eastern Europe, Saint Cyril and Saint Methodius. They brought the relics of uh, Pope Saint Clement to Rome. They were then placed in the basilica dedicated to Pope Saint Clement, which is very, very near the Basilica of Saint John Lateran in Rome. So if you're doing a tour of Rome, make sure on your way from the Vatican 
down to St John Lateran, you do a detour to the uh, marvellous basilica of San Clemente. All of these basilicas in Rome, they're all built on pre-existing buildings. So it became a basilica maybe in the 6th century, but before that it was the household of a Roman nobleman. And the Romans, of course, would have built their homes and their temples on top of pagan temples. So you go down three levels in the church of San Clemente and you discover the temple of Mithras, pagan temple. Fantastic. So it's really worth paying the money to go down to the lower level to see the pagan temple. But if you haven't got enough money to go to Rome or go down to the temple of Mithras in San Clemente, you can go to the city of London where there are remains of another temple of Mithras, quite near the Bank of England, in fact. I believe when they were rebuilding that part of London, Walbrook Street, I think is the name of the place, they reconstructed the temple of Mithras, and it's seen in the courtyard now of a modern office block. So how did it end up here? And I suppose that is the question that everyone wants to, wants to know. When this is probably the most remarkable story coming out of the waste industry right now and really it was it's very hard to pinpoint exactly where it's come from what type of work or what type of clearance basically the nature of the work that we do is we have trucks that will go around and do offices and house clearances we will two operatives will go in and clear office furniture house furniture electronic waste etc and would do maybe four or five jobs in one round so it's very hard to then pinpoint exactly what job that came from. If you then imagine something so small has probably come from a drawer or a box, to then pinpoint exactly where that drawer, piece of furniture or box came from is very hard to pinpoint. So we don't know exactly where it came from in that sense, from my perspective, because we just ended up with this in our warehouse. And it was a strange one because I, at lunchtime I tend to walk around the industrial, industrial estate and just go into the warehouse where we where we have a range of uh, furniture, electronic waste. And I happened to see that on the side on, some, on someone's desk and I thought that's a bit strange, that doesn't really belong in the hands of a waste company. So I took it, didn't know what it was at the time, went on to Google and there's some writing along the front, EXOSS St. Clementis, P.M. And uh, the EXOSS came up and Google, trusted Google, is uh, ex ossibus, which I think is bone of. And then you're left with a question, what do you do with it? <laughs> so I spoke to a few people and I had a, 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 some ideas in mind, mainly the British Museum kept coming up in my head or a university to actually find out exactly what it was. We put out the, the piece because we weren't too sure and we wanted to get a bit of information, right, what do you think we should do with it? And we just ended up getting about 150, 200 responses from people saying, our church, please donate it to our church, please, it should belong to us at this university, etc, etc. So it made it even more confusing. But after about 150, 200 responses, it just for some reason it stood out that we need to return it back to Westminster Cathedral. Yeah, thank you. This is just incredible, really, for our company as well. So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Tessa Murdoch and I work at the Victoria and Albert Museum. And one of my tasks was to oversee the creation of a sacred silver and stained glass gallery, a permanent gallery which opened to the public in 2005, which includes reliquaries and some containing their original relics. 
So Sophie Andre very kindly um, invited me to contribute to the process of identifying this extraordinary find. And here it is in front of us today, very excitingly, in a base metal oval container with a glass domed cover on one side, containing a fragment of bone from which, interestingly, two much smaller fragments have become detached with, as explained, the label handwritten in capital letters Ex Os San Clementis PM, probably standing for Proto Martyr. The dome of the uh, relic query is held in place by a red thread which is crossed at the back and sealed with a seal that can be identified either as that of a cardinal or an archbishop. As I speak now with most recent intelligence from heralds and Catholic historians, it is the question of how many tassels are attached to the hat. The seal, of course, is in red wax, and so the hat appears to be red. If it was an archbishop's hat, it would be green. There are 15 tassels, and as we speak in this library, we are beneath the coat of arms of a cardinal, which indeed has 15 tassels. So that indicates that uh, the coat of arms, once identified, would help us to date the piece, which we believe is probably as early as the 17th century. And the cardinal represented was responsible for authorising the production of smaller relics from a principal uh, bone of the saint and distributing the relics. So we don't know where this was first received, but one suggestion is the fact that the Basilica San Clemente in Rome is the home of the Irish province of the Dominicans, and so there may be an Irish connection. I would just like to end by uh, reminding you that St Clement, given his watery death, is the patron saint of mariners, that his feast day is celebrated in the Catholic Church on the 23rd of November, and that he is also celebrated in the Eastern Orthodox Church. We've heard about his death in the Ukraine or Crimea. It's perhaps not surprising that there's a church dedicated to St Clement in Moscow. We've heard of the connections with the City of London, where there are two churches, St Clement Danes, on the outside of the city and St Clement's East Cheap. There's St Clement's Church in Cornwall. And I'm particularly fascinated that there's a chapel dedicated to St Clement in Chichester Cathedral, where I have a special connection. It will be very exciting to hear what the future plans are for this remarkable find. And I'm very honoured to be associated with this exciting discovery. Thank you. Hello, Simon Caldwell, representing Catholic News Service in Washington, D.C. I understand that the um, original owner of the relic has now been identified. Uh, could you tell us anything about how, how this relic came to be lost in the first place? It, it uh, was in a car, and it seems to have, it, it, it was a theft from a car, and a number of items were lost, and then it turned up in the, in the recycling. 
warehouse. Um, but um, that's the, the, you know, what is remarkable about having, having had the publicity of, you know, when it was discovered that the um, original owner, who wishes to remain anonymous, has, 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 has come forward, but wishes it to be given to the um, to Westminster Cathedral. Ruth Gladstone from the tablet. So was it the um, uh, original owners requested it go to the cathedral that was a factor in the decision to give it to the to restore it to the cathedral? Mm, no, um, it wasn't really. It was. I, I I don't know why I sort of gravitated towards Westminster Cathedral. Well, I think I, just I, did, yes, I think essentially. I mean, obviously, it was found in London, um, yeah, and it was found cool. north of the Thames. So, to that extent, from the Catholic perspective, um, Westminster Cathedral, and um, with its treasures and so forth, is perhaps the obvious location. Because I was I was just interested in, in um, the own. If you could tell us about the owner's decision not to ask for it back, but to um, prefer it to be in the context of the cathedral, if you know anything about that decision. I don't know that I do particularly. Um, I think that was really you know, a decision taken with, with those in, involved with the cathedral. But that's a highly appropriate location for it. Yes, Bjarne uh, Nørm, the Danish Christian Daily. Have you done any dating of the bone or any kind of authentication of it? And I think that's V&A. <laughs> We obviously wouldn't want to interfere with the integrity of the bone by taking a sample for testing. But I would suggest that one practical way of dating the reliquary would be to date the damask fabric, which is the context for the relic and its label. And I could confer with textile experts at the V&A, but I anticipate, and it looks almost a, like a fleur-de-lis motive, which is rather appropriate, that that could be identified as a Baroque 17th century red silk damask. And it's perhaps sort of worth adding that in terms of when these relics were put into these reliquies, that one has to bear in mind that these ancient churches over the centuries have been um, repaired, and uh, you know, major works carried out at different times. And so it's very much the case that, so for example, the sort of counter-reformation, post-counter-reformation type relics that, um, of which this is, that would appear to be one, if major works were going on at St. Clementine, it's another thing that we can, we can research and, and, and see. That might have been a moment when you know, a particular tomb was opened and, and certain fragments taken and put into reliquies. So that's a sort of another way of trying to get at perhaps when, when this actually came to be put into this particular reliquy. Um, what plans do you have for the relic now? Well, the plan is that it will go on public display in the Treasures Exhibition here at the Cathedral. It's a lovely exhibition of some of the many things that are associated with this cathedral. But as Tessa just said, I mean, we've only just recently discovered this, this, this connection, for example, with the chapel at Chichester. You know, maybe it's something that could, you know, could potentially go on loan or something like that. So I think it's, it's early days. We're very keen that it, that it should be available to the public and its main home will be here. Yes, of course, there is a treasury at Chichester Cathedral where it could be yeah. shown. You could it go on tour? <laughs> <laughs> I see no reason why not. <laughs> From Moscow to Cornwall? I think it's quite uh, interesting going on tour. If you remember the extraordinary excitement, I put it that way, no, no, no stronger than that, of the visit of the relics of St. Teresa to this country and in fact to Westminster Cathedral where they came for three or four days. 
people are intrigued by relics. Every church, as you know, has got its relics because in the Catholic Church we maintain the tradition of celebrating Mass on an altar in which are placed two or three relics, usually the dedication of the saint, but if not, then other relics. Even in this cathedral, you know, we have the remains of uh, St. John Southworth, one of the um, 17th century martyrs who was um, hanged, drawn and quartered at Tyburn. So his reliquary is a casket, big casket, huge casket, actually very heavy, in a side chapel at the cathedral. You might see it as you go out later on. And that's brought out into the middle of the cathedral sometime this week, I think, for his feast day and for the ordinations of the new priests. Because St. John Southworth, for example, worked in this area of Westminster. So there's a, a, a tremendous uh, living connection with our forefathers and mothers, that's at St. Margaret Clitheroe and St. Anne Lyne. But going further back to the date of uh, St. Clement, the Mass used to be celebrated on the tombs of those who'd given their lives for the faith. So that constant tradition, a living tradition, I would say, of holding our forebears, our saints, those who have gone before us, our martyrs, holding them in veneration as an inspiration to people today as um, we try to follow not the path of martyrdom necessarily, but certainly the witness that they gave. And I would like to add that even, even in a museum context, we try and represent the investment of faith in such objects. And for example, the exhibition that the British Museum hosted, Treasures of Heaven, at the end of every day, particular effort had to be made to cleaning the exterior of the cases in which the relics and reliquaries had been displayed because members of the public had attempted to embrace the relics and reliquaries by literally kissing them and touching them, which of course is the tradition, the potential for healing in such representation of a saint. Remember, when you next visit sacred objects in a museum, the way in which we remember that tradition.